tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 13th, uh-oh, 13 is, all right, that's a great number. This 13th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And today we are bringing you the Queen Mary. It's a fabulous hotel that is floating out there in Long Beach, California. We're looking forward to sharing the history and hauntings with you. Before we get into that, we'd like to encourage you to check out our website at historygoesbump.com. It's got everything you could possibly want to know about the podcast, where to find it, how to link up with us on Facebook and Twitter and all the other social networks that are out there. Also, how to sign up for the newsletter. And if you want to get some fabulous, spooktacular wear at our Emporium, that's where you can find that as well. Isn't my spooktacular wear supposed to be in the mail really, really soon? I'm hoping we get it either today or tomorrow. Woohoo! Yay! And we'll be sporting those for our upcoming ghost tour that we're going to do in St. Augustine this upcoming weekend. I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. And then pretty soon we'll have to have Rafiki and her spectacular crew wear, too. Yeah, I haven't uh, designed any pet wear yet, but maybe I should think about doing that. Think about it. I guess I'm doing it. Done. (laughs) (laughs) We also want to give some shout outs. You know, we love it when you guys send us some feedback or interact with us on our various social networks. We want to thank Bob and Rich and Yolanda for all of your activity over on the fan page at Facebook. We still need to get some more of you guys to come on over to the Spooktacular Crew page at Facebook. So just put in Spooktacular Crew in the search bar and you'll find our group over there. We'd love to have you guys come over there so we can do some more one-on-one interaction with you. The fan pages are pretty impersonal, so we set up the group so we can be more personal. The easiest way to figure out how to find that is sign up for the newsletter. We always have the link to the Spooktacular Crew group page in that newsletter. Also, over at Twitter, L. Cohen out of Indiana has uh, sent us a suggestion for a haunted cemetery that we're looking forward to investigating. And she sent us a fabulous article about some of the spookiest places in Indiana. And we will be traveling through there, so... Might have to check out some of them. Absolutely. So we're not staying overnight, but when we do our road trip next year, we go right through Indiana when we're going between Kentucky and Illinois. So we will definitely have to see if there's a little side pull-off that we need to do. Woohoo! I love how you say woohoo. hoo <laughs> Love more ghosts. Yay. No, it's really fun, actually. So for those of you who are kind of sitting on the fence and not so sure, that's where I was. I'm like, well, maybe someday we might do one of these things. And that was like, 15 years ago, and I absolutely love the ghost tour, so it is a lot of fun. I think they're great fun, and yeah, we haven't ever had anything um, go bump on us, so. Not until we take Kelly, she promised. (laughs) (laughs) We also have gotten a donation, which we greatly appreciate, uh, the new equipment that we bought that hopefully is making this a more rich experience for those of you who are listening to it. (laughs) It's made me a more broke experience, but whatever. (laughs) 
anyway, this donation that we just got uh, is going to be going to help pay for some of the equipment we just bought. So we greatly appreciate that. And if you would like to help support the show in a monetary way like that, you can just hit up the Spooktacular Crew tab over at the website historyghostbump.com. And if you go to the bottom of that page, it has both the Patreon link and the PayPal link. So if you want to donate either a one-time donation or if you want to do a monthly you can do that with either of those two tabs. And there are some extra little special things that we'd like to start getting into. If we got a little extra help in that way, then we'd be able to start doing some of that stuff. So anyway, enough of that public service message. <laughs> public servants, that's us. But we're the good kind, not the Washington kind. Welcome to this moment in oddity. Outside of the Vancouver Art Gallery stands a peculiar piece of, well, um, art. As they say, beauty or art is in the eye of the beholder. Canadian artist Douglas Coupland created a seven-foot fiberglass replica of his own head and colored it black. But the art did not stop there. Coupland came up with a sticky idea for the statue. He decided it would be fabulous to have the people of Vancouver get in on the creation of this art piece, and he asked that they start taking their nasty, hard, chewed-up balls of gum and stick them all over the head statue. And thus, Gumhead was born. Unfortunately, such an idea in the heat of summer is not a good idea, and by the time the exhibition was over on September 1st of this year, the gum had become a melted mess that attracted more bees than people. Kuplin declared his masterpiece to be ugly beautiful and claimed it to be a total success. While getting a city to join in on the creation of artwork is great, we think asking people to stick their nasty gum all over a statue is not only revolting, but quite odd. Turn out the lights. The party's just getting started. This Day in History On this date, November 30th in 1948, the Negro National Baseball League disbands. Starting in the early 1880s, black baseball players began to form their own independent teams when bans against black players were implemented by national teams. There were nearly 200 teams. By World War I, black baseball had gained a great following. Andrew Rube Foster decided that the time was perfect to form a Negro National League, and the league flourished, spreading into Kansas City, Chicago, Detroit, Indianapolis, St. Louis, Birmingham, Nashville, Atlanta, and New Orleans, among other cities. The Great Depression affected the Negro National League in a negative way, just as it did everything else in America, and the league dissolved in 1931. In 1933, the Negro National League was reborn and took over where Foster's League had left off until 1948. On April 18, 1946, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in baseball by signing on with the Dodgers, and the floodgates opened for other black players as integration set in. All the talented black players were leaving for the big leagues. The Negro National League was no longer financially viable, and although the Negro American League continued on into the 50s, Black baseball was done. While blacks have made up 26% of baseball players in past decades, the 2014 season saw only 8.3% of players identified as black. Here's hoping that more black players make their way into the rosters in the future. You're listening to History Goes Bump. 
The Queen Mary is a retired ocean liner with a rich history spanning from the time of the Great Depression to present day. She's been docked for the last 45 years, but she continues to provide hospitality and luxurious accommodations for the living and the dead. Commissioned by the... Commissioned by the Cunard Line, the Queen Mary was designed to become one of two super ocean liners that would leave its predecessors like the... This is why I let you read this part, because it's got the fun names. Okay, Maritania and the Barragaria in the dust. And I'm not sure of the pronunciation of those names. I think it's the Martania. And I believe that's mentioned in the movie Titanic. That's the only reason why I kind of recognize that name. So I think it's the Martania. Yeah, because I don't know how you would recognize that from Titanic, since you've only seen it about 150 zillion times. (laughs) It's a good movie. (laughs) She's always like, top of the world. And she wants me to hold her on cruise ships while she puts her arms out and leans over over the railing. She's full of crap. I do not. (laughs) Would it be a great photo opportunity? Look, don't drop her. (laughs) This is why ships don't even let you near the front area. They'd see you coming for sure and definitely lock it down. No. The Cunard Line has been operating for 175 years and is under the Carnival Corporation today. But it started in 1839 under Nova Scotian Samuel Cunard and his partner, Scottish steamship builder Robert Napier. The Cunard Line was based in Britain, and when it ran into hard times because of the Great Depression, while building the Queen Mary, the British government gave Cunard a loan to finish the Queen Mary and build its sister ship, the Queen Elizabeth. The government also insisted that the Cunard Line merge with the White Star Line of Titanic fame at the same time. And now that it's under the Carnival Corporation today, I wonder how proud they are of that. Well, they joined Titanic to begin with, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I guess it shows they They're really good. haven't been moving in the right direction. Let's go with the Titanic line and then, hey, Carnival. <laughs> okay, let's be nice to the other ships of the sea. We know Disney is the best, but we need to be nice to the other Well, ones. when you hear one of these stories that goes with the Queen Mary, you'll see why. Yeah, I could see it being a part of the uh, White Star line and the Carnival Cruise line. <laughs> they had a bit of an accident, but we'll get into that in a moment. Yes, we will. John Brown and Company began construction on hole number 534, the original name of the Queen Mary, in 1930. And actually, the Queen Mary was meant to be called the Victoria, so that there would be an IA at the end of the name like all the other canard liners. But when King George V was asked if the ship could be named for Britain's greatest queen, the king said his wife, Queen Mary, would be delighted. So the canard line was forced to name the ship Queen Mary. That husband was not an idiot. Uh, not at all. Can you imagine if she'd heard this discussion? Hey, the canard line wanted to come in and name it after the greatest queen. So I said, yeah, you can do it after Victoria. She would have slapped him. <laughs> yeah, she's like, excuse me? The ship took three and a half years to build at a cost of 3.5 million pounds sterling. She was 1,019 feet long, 181 feet high, and could hold 2,139 passengers and 1,100 crew. The Queen Mary was a technological achievement with the largest magnetic compass in the world, and the ship raised the bar on luxury travel and soon became known as the grandest ocean liner ever built. Celebrities and royalty love traveling on the Queen Mary. The ship began her maiden voyage on May 27, 1936, from Southampton, England. She had five dining areas and lounges, two cocktail bars and swimming pools, a grand ballroom, a squash court, 
and even a small hospital, which set a new standard in luxury. She was also the first ship to have a Jewish prayer room. The main dining room had a type of transatlantic map across one wall, and the ship's progress was marked by a motorized model. The veranda grill and observation bar also offered smaller dining areas with a la carte menus. Seeing that makes me think of a couple things. Number one, when we're flying on airplanes now, you know, they have the GPS on there so you can watch the plane as it's flying to your destination. What a difference from basically having this little itty-bitty motorized ship that was kind of going along the wall. But still, how cool, because... I don't know if anybody else out there in our listenership land loves it, but I love clicking on that and seeing where the airplane is. And so I would have been one of the ones going to look at where that little motorized boat was going. It's just kind of, I love tracking things. So that would have been awesome. The other interesting thing is you mentioned that this ship had a Jewish prayer room. And one of the reasons why I think they made sure to do that is this was being built back there. You said the maiden voyage was in 1936. Well, what was getting ready to happen here? you've got the Nazis moving into Germany. So there was a lot of anti-Semitism going out. So this was kind of the Canard Line's way of trying to go above and beyond showing that they were not anti-Semitic by making sure they had a, a Jewish prayer room. Right, and keeping it open for all people to travel on them, you know. Exactly. Not, not, not excluding anybody. Exactly. Which reminds me of a beloved line I travel on today. Disney? How'd you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I could have possibly guessed. <laughs> of, of course, the, the joke in, in the taekwondo circles, compliments of my big brother, Senior Master Stedman, my appointed big brother, I guess. He always says, this is how you know that Master Mormeyer is around you here. Disney. So now he's picked that up. And now I just told everybody else it'll be a thing. But I do like Disney a little bit. They are a fabulous cruise line. We've always had a great time. And they have fairly large rooms, I think, Yeah, for cruise ship. Oh, fantastic rooms and accommodations. And plus, the other thing is, is that Diane is as much Disney as I am, just FYI. <laughs> now, since we were talking about the time period that we're coming into, which would be World War II, mm-hmm. the Queen Mary did an extraordinary thing, something that I couldn't imagine ever happening in our modern era. And that is, can you imagine our cruise ships nowadays being used as troop transport ships? Not really, because I don't know if it was a shortage of ships back then, but um, I can't imagine them loading the troops on to take. It's like, here, you guys are going on this cruise line, you guys are going on this cruise line. Now they have their own ships. I don't know if they didn't have as many. or. I think that was part of the problem. They just did not have the capacity And it was a much quicker way to try to get these troops moved around. Well, the other thing that was really cool back in those days, too, is the support. I mean, we do give support to our troops today, but how many people would jump in working jobs that they normally would not work? You know, the whole women's movement kind of branched from that. And they would jump in. And as a country, we would really try to get the troops what they needed and where they needed to go. There's a reason why they were called the greatest generation. I Definitely, especially some of our later generations coming up here, Generation Y, and I don't know what else they call them, Z or something. Actually, they call them something like millennials, I think, because they're born in the 2000s. I don't see them making those kinds of sacrifices. Hopefully that will change, but yeah. So for three years, the Queen Mary was doing its uh, schlepping around the different parts of the world, taking all of the rich and famous and royalty all around and the well-to-do, But World War II changed all of that, and the Queen Mary became 
basically the gray ghost. That's what they started calling her was the gray ghost. She was revamped to carry up to 5,000 troops at one time. And by the end of the war, she had moved 800,000 troops and participated in the D-Day invasion. Winston Churchill credited the Queen Mary for shortening the war by a full year because of the ability it gave the Allies to move large numbers of troops. A grand lady she was indeed. By 1947, the Queen Mary had been retrofitted to sail the seas as a luxury cruise liner once again. Sailing the high seas in such fashion would soon lose its luster as the airline industry took hold and people decided flying was easier and faster than sailing. By the 1960s, cruise lines noticed a sharp decline in passengers, and in 1967, the Grand Queen Mary made her last voyage to Long Beach, California, where she has remained to this day. She's become an icon of what luxury sailing used to be and now serves as not only an attraction, but as a hotel. Restoration continues to this day, and a new future museum is in the works. RMS Queen Mary has been registered on the National Register of Historic Places. And you know what's interesting? You see that decline happening with the cruise lines because of the airline industry, but I think we're seeing a reversal of that today because I don't know too many people who enjoy flying anymore. It's such a pain and so uncomfortable. Well, and you get nickeled and dimed to death. You're like, can I please get, you know, a glass of water? It's like, okay, well, that'll be blah, blah, blah. Not all airlines, but they are starting to move that way where every single little thing, pretty soon if you want a blanket... They're going to charge you a repackaging fee or, you know, a sanitation fee or something. Yeah, my folks, as a matter of fact, they're still here in town, but I think they flew on, was it Frontier? I'm not sure. I can't remember. I think it was Frontier and they they had to pay for their sodas. We still, any flights we've taken so far, we haven't had to even pay for our sodas, but they're still, they're having to pay for their sodas now even. And I saw, I think recently they did a news story a couple weeks ago that there's one airline, it might be Spirit Airlines, where you basically pay for every little thing that they have. It's a cheaper ticket, but you end up paying for it in the long run. Talking about putting almost bicycle seats in for the seats. Yikes. I I can't imagine. I barely fit into the seats we have today. I mean, I do fit, but... Time Magazine has voted the Queen Mary as one of the top 10 haunted locations in America. Really? One of the most haunted in America? You've got to be kidding me. I'm looking forward to the day when we hit a place that isn't considered one of the most haunted in, you know, this location, this area. Well, this is our 13th podcast, and haven't we had the most haunted on almost every one? Pretty much. (laughs) I think uh, it's in the eye of the beholder is whether something is the most haunted. Right. Have you had an experience there? It's the most haunted. We've heard that anywhere from 150 to 600 spirits call the ship home. That is, uh, that's pretty crowded. Especially on a ship. I mean, that's crowded for a city. (laughs) (laughs) I guess as long as they're not sharing the bed with you, you're okay. The Queen Mary hosts a variety of ghost tours both during the day and the night. The day tour is titled Haunted Encounters, and it includes a show titled Ghost and Legends, which I've heard is kind of a type of haunted house tour. They have like special effects and lights and all that kind of thing going on with it. This is all part of the Haunted First Class Passport Package, which runs about 31 bucks online or 33 at the door. That's kind of one of those numbers too, 33. And keep in mind that parking costs an additional $15 on top of that. In the evenings, there are four haunted tours to choose from. And we have links to that 
so that you can get all of the information in the show notes over at the blog for this show. I definitely know when we go out to do our Tinkerbell Half Marathon at Disneyland Resort, I think we will be doing a side trip up towards the LA-ish, Long Beach-ish area. Sounds like a good idea to me. Me too. So that will be in the future. Anyway, there are many former crew members that haunt the ship. John Petter is one of the most well-known spirits thought to still be hanging out on the ship. He was a young sailor who lied about his age in order to get a job on the ship. Engine room door 13. Interesting number. And isn't it interesting this is our 13th podcast? And isn't it interesting that 13 is my lucky number? Oh, (laughs) I guess that doesn't really go, does it? But anyway... (laughs) Engine room door 13 in Shaft Alley was the scene of Petter's death. He was crushed to death by the watertight door there during a fire or routine drill. The bearded Petter is said to appear wearing blue coveralls. Another crewman named John Henry worked in the boiler room. His remains were found in the hall near the green room outside the boiler room. Henry usually appears as a black figure, and several EVPs have been caught of him. William Stark, who was the ship's officer, died after drinking a toxic cleaning fluid that he had mistaken for gin. Yikes, that would be horrible death. Yes, and I don't know at what point he figured out uh, this is not gin, because I guess gin can be pretty (laughs) strong too. So He joked about the mistake with fellow crew members, but it was no joke when he was dead four days later. Stark is seen near the captain's cabin and on the promenade. The last captain to pilot the ship, Captain Treasure Jones, reportedly hangs out on the ship, still smoking his cigars, even though he did not die on the ship. People claim to smell the cigar smoke on occasion. And you know what I'm wondering right now, which I think you are because you just looked at me. Say it. How do they know it's his cigar smoke? Oh, I was wondering what brand, like what scent of smoke it might be. Well, see, I don't know. Cigars, you're thinking pipe, cherry pipe tobacco for Uh, pipes. You're right. is what you're thinking. You're right. Cigars, I don't think they make in fruity flavors. (laughs) 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 I don't think they do, do they? Did you not ever have candy cigars, bubble gum? Those are cig- I've never had a cigar that was a candy one. Those the are bubble cig- gum ones? Oh, I don't think so. Oh, you know what? Yes, the ones they, they hand out for, for babies being yeah. born. Okay. Those are fruity cigars. I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> I know somebody else who's a little fruity. I won't mention any names. I was born that way. The pool areas have been scenes of tragedy numerous times, and spirit swimmers have been seen or heard splashing and walking about the area. The interesting thing is, I don't think any of these pools have water in them, so it's interesting to see the splashing. They also have seen footprints, wet footprints. Uh, That is creepy and cool (laughs) at the same time. (laughs) Two women drowned in the first-class pool. One was back in the 30s, the other was in the 60s. A little girl was having some fun and thought she'd slide down the banister into the pool, but lost her balance and fell, breaking her neck. Jackie Torrin is a little girl of six who drowned in the second-class pool. She wanders the area where the pool used to be, calling out for her parents, giggling, and singing. And then under the stairs near the first-class pool, there's a mean spirit there that sometimes can be heard growling. They apparently keep a live ghost cam running in the pool area and pick up black figures and other mysterious things every so often as well. I you know, did a ton of research on all of these, and it seemed like on most sites, most uh, paranormal investigators claim that the pool area has some kind of vortex for the ship. And for people who don't know what a vortex is, when we talk about the veil being dropped between the living and the dead, basically... A vortex to us is the passageway 
that they can come through that veil. And apparently that might be why the Queen Mary has so much activity with all these different spirits. Oh, definitely. If they have a vortex there. It's weird that the one spirit they've never really seen, but it's just hearing growling. That that almost seems like demonic to me because thank you, God, and I'm not tempting anything, but I've never been around demonic stuff. But sometimes they said it is very growly kind of Apparently they've nicknamed this ghost Grumpy or something. I think that was what they were calling him, Grumpy. And so he was he's just a grumpy guy. So that's why he, why he growls. But they'll hear it in other places too on the ship. So it's almost like he's following people around. I agree. If it's something that's growling at you, I don't know that that's a human spirit. Hmm. Every haunting seems to have a lady in white and the Queen Mary is no exception. The lady in white on this ship enjoys music and is seen most times dancing in the Queen's salon. She is seen going up and down the stairs near the lobby as well. Other people dressed in clothing from bygone eras are seen in the staterooms. One gentleman appears in 1930s garb in one of the rooms. Lights turn off and on, and the water runs by itself in several rooms. Now, is there, there's water on in the room, so obviously because they stay there. So it's just the pools that are empty? Yeah, and I mean, I'm not for sure about that. I know definitely that the second-class pool no longer... It, I don't even think the second-class pool is there anymore. I think there might be a floor there. If there are any listeners who have actually been to the Queen Mary, we'd love to get your feedback to confirm what what is the state of these pools. But it's my understanding that the second-class pool is no longer there, which makes me think that it's been filled in and might have an actual floor there. And I'm not sure because, you know, most hotels, especially if they're nicer hotels, have a pool. Right. So I don't know if the first class pool still has some water in it or if it's dry too. I'm, I'm not sure on that one. I guess we'll have to go to California and find <laughs> the out. The only way we'll know for sure is if we've actually been there. No one stays in stateroom B340 anymore because apparently the paranormal activity in that room has become so intense. Now, there's a couple of stories about that room. First of all, it just could be who knows? Maybe that's a vortex also. The problem is when you're looking back through all this history and this research, even when I was looking at the crew members who had died here, you'd get different names. Some of them would be, this happened to this guy and also to this guy. It's so hard to figure out what the truth is. And this one has doesn't have any verification for it. But supposedly, according to legend, a purser was murdered in that room. And that's why it's got so much activity. But there's been no indication that this crew member's name does not appear on any of the plaques for crew members that have died there, whereas some of the other ones do. So I don't know how truthful that is. But for some reason, this room has got a lot of activity. So they keep very little furniture in this room. In the past, sheets have flown across the room. The lights have blinked on and off that kind of thing. Also in the kitchen area, a cook on board the ship during World War II was murdered by crew members because his cooking was terrible. Okay, keep in mind that I'm just starting to branch out into cooking. Got it? I know, but here's here's the warning. The legend goes they stuffed him in an oven and burned him to death. So, you know, maybe you don't want to burn that soup too many more times. Too many more times? <laughs> Denise is a fabulous cook. We're just kidding. <laughs> So much for her meals. She will be having ramen noodles and macaroni and cheese from now on. Yay! Actually, the lobster macaroni and cheese I made was really good. Mm. Apparently, this cook's screams are said to be heard to this day. Oh, God. Those would be intense screams. I can't imagine burning to death. 
uh, in an oven. Uh, how would you even get some? I mean, well, I don't know. They probably had some pretty big ovens. Yeah. So I was like, how would you even get somebody into that oven? Right after yoga class. <laughs> <laughs> he was practicing some yoga in that oven. I'll tell you that. Oh, poor guy. Although the Queen Mary's service during World War II was honorable and very helpful, that service was not without tragedy. HMS Curacoa, a ship named after a Caribbean island, served in the Royal Navy as a C-class light cruiser that had been called upon to escort the Queen Mary. The Curacoa was guiding the Queen Mary in a zigzag formation so that both ships could avoid detection by the enemy. During one of those zigs, the Queen Mary zagged and plowed right into the Curacoa, splitting it in two and leaving hundreds of men dead when it sank in just six minutes. Most died in the icy waters when the Queen Mary made no attempt to rescue the men because of fears of U-boat attacks. 99 men of the 338 crew were pulled from the water by two other ships. Cries of those men can be heard sometimes when on the outside forward areas of the ship. Yeah, so it only saved about 100 of 338 crew. So that was a lot of men who died. And just kind of the betrayal. They were there to be the guiding light. But when they needed the Queen Mary, she took off out of fear. So that's that's always a hard one. As these things usually go when it comes to the government... And things of that nature, they kept it quiet until the end of the war. They didn't want anybody to know that this had happened. And then they finally admitted that there had been this accident during the war. And a lot of the crew members who passed away, their family members, sued the Cunard line. And it did come out at the end of those trials that the Queen Mary was at fault. That there was, there's different rules that you have to follow when you're on the water. And the problem is, first of all, you've got the Queen Mary, which, which was a much bigger ship, and it was faster, and the Curacoa could not keep up and stay ahead. So it was having a hard time staying ahead of the Queen Mary as it was. And the captain on that one didn't really want to do the zigzag thing. He just wanted to go straight on because it was taking more power and it was harder for him to go fast enough doing the zigzag. So he was really trying to do the straight and narrow. And in maritime rules, whichever one is the bigger ship should be yielding. And the Queen Mary did not yield. And he was expecting that it would because those are the rules. It's kind of like when we come up to a stop sign you naturally assume that the people who have the red light or the stop sign are going to stop. And when they don't, that's when you have your accidents. Right, and he was so small with less power, he probably, once he realized that the Queen Mary was not stopping, couldn't get out of the there way. There was nothing either one of them could do. Once the Queen Mary realized what was happening, you know, it's kind of like the Titanic steering towards the iceberg. You finally get to a point where there is, you know, I heard if the Titanic would have hit the iceberg head on, they probably could have saved the ship instead of trying to do the turn because it was just too late for them to try to make that turn right but like with any accident you do you know you're under stress you're like oh what do i do and so you turn and when sometimes one thing would have been better than the other but and unfortunately this wasn't two cars crashing in an intersection Mm -hmm. this was two massive ships and the queen mary barely suffered any damage its bow was you know kind of crinkled in the front but it managed to make it to its next port before it ever needed to be fixed A woman named Terry told the website angelghosts.com, and we do have that link up in the show notes, about an experience she had as follows. Quote, On our third day on the Queen Mary, I decided, after a night full of horrible and outstanding experiences, to try and find some of the lonely spirits that are claimed to be seen at the first-class pool. I was not taking photos, but Tommy was, so I could relax and enjoy the beauty of the ship's pool and just listen. I was standing at the far right side of the pool, which can be seen on the webcam, and I first felt a tug on my blouse. I, of course, turned around fast to see who was next to me, but no one was there. 
Tommy was on the other side of the pool taking photos, so I knew it was not him. Again, the feeling of not being alone was overpowering, and I felt someone touch my left arm. I again turned around, and no one was near me. I called for Tommy to come over and take photos, and while I was talking to him, saying that I again have been touched, someone was playing with my purse strings, which was over my shoulder. It felt so weird. I just stood there while this little person was playing with my purse and my blouse. I could feel someone or something touching my back. I told Tommy, it keeps touching me, and the tour guide said calmly, Our little girl Jackie is playing with you. Say hello to Jackie. I felt a little weird knowing that someone was touching me and playing with my blouse, but at the same time, it was outstanding. I was not afraid at all. End quote. So, is this grand old ocean liner housing the spirits of deceased crew and passengers? Is this floating hotel truly one of the most haunted locations in America? That is for you to decide. Well, we hope you enjoyed hearing about the Queen Mary. If you want to send us any feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Also, we'd like to hear any of your suggestions for people, places, or events that are haunted and in history that you'd like to hear about. We've got an open board here in December. I imagine after we do our ghost tour in St. Augustine, we'll be doing a show on one of the locations that are in St. Augustine. There's only hundreds there that are haunted. So we'll probably pick out one or two depending upon how our tour goes there. But otherwise, it's wide open. So whatever you guys, if there's something you really want to hear about, we'd uh, love to bring that to you. It'll be fun in St. Augustine because Rafiki, our little furry sidekick, is actually going on her first ghost tour with us. So a family that goes to ghost tours together. Stays together? Sure. <laughs> we'll have to get her commentary. I'm not sure anybody will understand the little... <laughs> she has good commentary. People have had our Christmas letters before, and they know that she's a much better writer than speaker. Speaking of which, I hope everybody had a fabulous Thanksgiving and that you ate yourselves uh, silly. I was already silly, so I just ate. <laughs> And we're getting ready to come up here into Christmas, so we'll have to look into some of the, if you guys know any haunted Christmas stories or history that pertains to the Christmas season, we'd love to hear about that as well. I think we'll probably do a little looking into Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, because one thing people don't always keep in mind about that is it's got three ghosts as main characters in that book. Absolutely, and just kind of even just going through the Christmas Carol would be fun, but trying to see if there's some Actually, more there's history four. behind it. I correct myself because Bob Marley's one of them too. Oh, that's true. So there's four of them, so that should be fun. We want to thank you all for hanging out with us once again. This has been Diane and Denise. Y'all take care now. Bye bye. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you.